So the reading this evening is John chapter 21, and it can be found on page 1090 of the Bibles, the Church Bibles. Afterwards, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. When they did, they were unable to hold the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it's the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he'd taken it off, and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from the shore, about a hundred meters. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you've just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they'd finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you're old, you'll stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This was the one who'd leaned back against Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who's going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what's that to you? 
you must follow me. Because of this, the rumor spread among the believers that this disciple would not die. But Jesus did not say that he would not die. He only said, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what's that to you? This is the disciple who testifies to these things and who wrote them down. We know that his testimony is true. Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would, have, that would be written. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Jonathan, for that mammoth reading. <laughs> I love the idea of so many books that it would take up the whole world. Isn't that amazing? For those of us who are, um, have rather a lot of books already, that's probably not necessarily a good thing. But anyway, uh, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for this opportunity to think about this interaction between Jesus and particularly Peter. And we ask that you would help us to hear your voice as we do so. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, in, in case you're wondering about the picture, this is a picture that I was given when I became a curate, when I was first ordained. And it's a picture literally called the miraculous catch of fish. I think you can see why. It's a beautiful picture. And it's in my, my lounge at home, and I sit opposite it. Um, on my sofa, and I love it. Please don't ask me who the painter is, because I can never remember his name. But if you do want to know, I will go and do the search I always do when anyone asks me, and I can let you know. But I just love it. It's a beautiful picture. And it's one of those that the more you look, the more you see, the more, uh, the more fish you see. And there's just something stunning about it. And the, the author, the, the author, the painter, has, has painted uh, loads of scripture passages through from Genesis all the way to Revelation. Anyway, that was just an aside, but that's why I've used that picture. It's very special for me. Just a question for you, though. I wonder, what do you do when you find yourself at a loose end? What do you do? I don't know whether that... I knew, some of us may go, what's a loose end? Maybe you never have a loose end, I don't know. Or when, when, you know, when something's finished and you're sort of thinking, what do I do now? It's like when you finish a Netflix series... You're thinking, oh, I've got to find another one now. We finished a book and you're just about to go to bed and you don't want to have to start another one, that sort of thing. What do you do with yourself when you're not sure what to do and you're sort of just like, I don't know what to do? Do you have a place that you go? You know, do you have uh, familiar places that you go? Maybe somewhere that you've got good memories, somewhere that you, you know that you're accepted in or something like that. Um, or somewhere that you know that if you go there, you've got something you can do. Maybe that's work. <laughs> Maybe that's something that is sort of the normality of life. Maybe it's something that's routine. I know that if I'm a sort of at a loose end, I'm likely to go and get the vacuum cleaner. Don't ask me why, and don't ask me to come to your house either. I'm not very... <laughs> um, but those sort of things. Well, looking at today's account that we read, uh, that, well, Johnson just read to us, it's, it's one of these accounts of a post-resurrection uh, appearance of Jesus. And in this passage, in verse 14, we're told that this is the third appearance of Jesus. The Bible actually tells us that he appeared over 500 times. And that's a really important thing for us to remember. 1 Corinthians 15 tells us that. Because if, if you're talking to someone and they say, well, there's not much evidence, is there? Well, actually, we can point them to the facts for a start. There's lots more. Well, it says in Scripture that 500 people saw, well, Jesus appeared to 500 different people. 
But imagine the disciples in, in what's been going on. They've seen their friend die. They've uh, seen that he's come back to life. But maybe they're thinking, oh, I don't really know now what to do with myself. I don't know what this all means. Well, what I'm going to do um, in this uh, sermon this evening is focus particularly on Peter and the way that Peter uh, responded to all that was going on. So let's have a look there. Let's first of all look at the response that he does give, and all the disciples do, in fact. So we think of these disciples, and we think about the fact that they've had the highs and the lows of the, the cross and the resurrection. And at this point, where do we find them? Well, we don't find them in Jerusalem. We find them in Galilee. Maybe they are a little bit at a loose end. They're thinking, well, where, did, where does this leave me? What does this mean for me now? Maybe, oh, I'm not sure what I'm going to do. My life has been turned upside down. So maybe they do what feels right at that time. They go back to Galilee. Now, it's not just up the road. <laughs> it's, 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 it's a long walk. So this is a few days after the resurrection. It's not just straight away. And what we see is we see Peter and Thomas and Nathaniel and the sons of Zebedee, nothing to do with the magic roundabout, um, James and John, and two other disciples, possibly Andrew and Philip. And I've just got this picture of them maybe all sort of sitting around and Peter's there twiddling his thumbs a bit, you know. And eventually Peter says, right, I'm off fishing. That sort of sense. And the others, well, maybe they're glad that someone's decided what they're going to do. They've all been sitting there thinking, well, I, I don't really want to make the first move. And Peter saying that makes them think, okay, do you know what? Let's do that. Let's come with you. Now, remember that Peter was a fisherman. So what is he doing? He's going back to what he knows. Why is that? Well, maybe he's not sure what to do with himself. Maybe he doesn't want to just wait around for Jesus to appear again. Maybe he needs to do something that he knows. And so for him and some of the other disciples, they're back at the place they know. These disciples are the ones that were the fishermen from that area. We're not sure whether all of them were, but many of them would have been. So in some ways, what they've done is they've gone back to their comfort zone, haven't they? Things that they know that they can do well. But... Not only is it familiar for all of those reasons, maybe it's also familiar because for some of them, this was the place, an activity they were doing when Jesus first called them. Peter, James, and John were all in that boat when Jesus called them. And there's something here, isn't there, about reminiscence? You know, it's important sometimes when we're going through difficult things or when life changes to have a little bit of reminiscence there. I know that when I've moved house and I've moved area, there's something for me about, me about reminiscing because it helps me to ground myself. And having a shared history with someone helps that. And those of you who've moved to different areas know how hard it can be when you haven't got that shared history with those around you. But particularly at moments of difficult times, actually reminiscence is really helpful. And so maybe that's why they're doing it. Maybe they're also wondering, what are they going to do? You know, if, if Jesus has died and then risen again, what, what does this mean for them? 
Maybe they're thinking, well, I might have to go back to my old job. I need to go and get some practice in. So what do they do? They go fishing. But if you look at the passage, what we realize is that they, of course, go and do it correctly. You know, they do what you're meant to do. They go fishing at night, which is when you're meant to go, apparently. I don't fish, but apparently that's when they're more close to the surface or, I don't know, something like that. But what do we find? No fish. And by the early hours, they're probably pretty fed up. You know, we can't even catch a fish. You can imagine them saying it, can't you? Oh, my goodness. There they are, getting frustrated they've not caught any fish. And Jesus is standing on the shore. But of course, we're told in this passage that they don't realize that it's Jesus. That seems to be the pattern, actually, with, with the resurrection accounts of, of Jesus. You know, Mary um, doesn't realize it's Jesus until Jesus says her name. The disciples on the road to Emmaus realize it's Jesus when he breaks the bread. It's like it's only when Jesus does something or says, says something particular that it sort of resonates with someone and they, they realize who it is. So Jesus, well, he says something. That I'm not sure it's the best thing you could say at this point. He goes up to them and he says, friends, haven't you any fish? Think about that. That's a little bit like saying to someone who comes in soaked, is it raining? You know, it's like that, isn't it? And then, even worse, he offers them some advice, and he tells them to cast their nets to the other side. Maybe like this. You said cast the, cast the net. Anyway, just wondered. I thought it was quite funny. Maybe, maybe you don't. Might be my humor, or lack of, who knows. Um, but anyway, something makes them obey his suggestion. So that they do do what he says, they fish on the other side. Remember at this point, they don't know who it is. So they do, and they catch so many fish that they can't haul the net in. And it's at this point that John, who is, uh, describes himself as the disciple Jesus loved, he says to Peter, it's the Lord. And they recognize that it is Jesus. And that's my second point, they recognize. But I love the fact here that it's, it's Peter who reacts first. You know, John recognizes who it is. It's Peter who reacts first. And so he jumps in the water to get to Jesus. So John works it out, but Peter acts first. I think that's quite like them, really. Peter's sort of the impulsive one. But notice what he does. He puts on an outer garment and he jumps into the lake to get to the shore. Why does he do that? You know, if you ever thought about that, you know, Peter puts on more clothes to get in the water. Surely you'd normally do the opposite, wouldn't you? Anyone doing survival badges in swimming knows that, that water and clothes don't mix well. Although I've always wondered why you're meant to blow up your pajamas, if you ever did that. I mean, they're just gonna get wet, I don't really understand. Why does Peter do that? Well, a couple of thoughts. Think about who Peter was jumping in the water to meet. A teacher, his Lord. And that would be an appropriate custom to be clothed more modestly at this point. Or maybe it was a sign of shame. Remember, Peter had denied knowing Jesus three times and he ran away. Maybe he was like Adam and Eve in the garden. Maybe he was covering his shame. 
The fact is, though, I doubt Jesus needed that. You know, Jesus doesn't need us to put anything on to come to him. He just wants us to come to him. But Peter is so desperate to get to Jesus, isn't he? Um, the other disciples follow probably more sensibly in the boat, in the drier route, certainly. But Peter just wants to get there. And when they get to shore, what do they find? They find Jesus there with a barbecue, with some bread and some fish. Now, I don't know whether in your mind you're now thinking of another account in Scripture. Because as soon as I hear this passage, I immediately think of Luke chapter 5, which is the passage where Jesus does something very similar with a massive haul of fish. And I thought it would be helpful just to read that passage. And um, I sent a message back earlier to Daniel. Thank you so much for finding this uh, very quickly for us. Let me just read you Luke chapter 5, 1 to 11. And just think of it, hear it, in the context of the passage we're looking at. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats, left there by the fishermen, who were washing their nets. He got into the one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they'd done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything and followed him. So surely those events, particularly the fishing one, came to these disciples' minds as they were fishing, and then came to shore. But thinking of Peter, who is it that jumps into the boat to haul the net in? Yes, it's Peter. He just wants to get stuck in. I wonder, would that be you? Jesus is there. What would you do in that situation? And of course, thinking of Peter, whose boat was it that was the one that was used in Luke 5? His there's a sense that this event is a reminder, that's our third point, reminder of Jesus' call on their lives. But it's different now. Because if we compare what happened, we see some changes. So there's similarities, they're fishing at night and they get nothing. And then once Jesus speaks to them and guides them, they get loads of fish. But there are differences too. So in the first account in Luke 5, their nets begin to break but in the John chapter, their nets don't break. In Luke 5, the boat begins to sink. In the John passage, the boat stays afloat. In the Luke passage, Jesus calls them. In the John passage, Jesus doesn't say anything about that until much later. But imagine being a disciple. Surely this would remind you of your call. But of course, this also shows us that this call to is not to catch fish. 
And of course, it shows us that this call is not finished. But also that in this post-resurrection world, things are different. Last Sunday morning on Easter Sunday, I got everyone to join in with a refrain that we use quite a lot in the talk, and I use it this morning as well. The resurrection changes, who was here? Well done, good, excellent. The resurrection changes everything. There is a transformation brought about by the resurrection, and there is something amazing brought about, and that is seen in the way that Peter responds and the way that Jesus reinstates Peter, and that is, of course, grace. There is so much we could say on this passage, but I want to finish by very briefly thinking about the reinstatement of Peter in this passage. So here's the, um, I've put a different picture up here. Some of you may have seen this if you've been to Galilee. This is the statue of uh, the reinstatement of Peter on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, probably or possibly where that encounter happened. Um, And it's a beautiful, beautiful statue. And if you ever get to see it, I really thoroughly recommend it. It's not my photo, by the way, Um, although I'm going to be taking one soon when I go. That's another story. Anyway, so we have this beautiful image, this beautiful picture of grace. I've already reminded you that what happened to Peter before was that he denied knowing Jesus three times, hadn't he? And the cock crowed. But what we have here is Jesus being reinstated three times. And what is really interesting is that Jesus doesn't call him Simon Peter or Peter at this point. He calls him Simon, son of John. Remember, Jesus is the one that gives Peter his name. Peter, the rock, the one whom the church would be founded upon. So what we could say is that Simon on his own will always be Simon not Peter. But with Jesus, he will be Peter the rock. And there's something beautiful about that for all of us. In God's grace, when we come to Jesus, we are transformed into the people that God wants us to be. Isn't that a beautiful image? Even down to a name and what that name might mean. And then Jesus asks Peter a series of questions. He says, do you love me more than these? Well, who does he mean by these? No, who is Jesus referring to? Well, it could be, do you love me more than you love these disciples? Or more than these disciples love me? Or more than the fish and everything else that that means for you? It could be one or all of those. But of course, the most important thing is that Peter loves Jesus. And that he loves Jesus more than anyone or anything else. In the Passion narratives, Peter was adamant that um, even if everyone fell away, he would stick with Jesus, which, of course, he didn't. He made promises, which at times were hard to keep. So here Peter simply says, Lord, you know that I love you. So it's not about trying to to make claims that he knows he might struggle with. He simply says, Lord, you know that I love you. God knows that we love us. He knows that there will be times when we let him down when we do things. It's not that we do that on purpose, but he knows that we let him down. 
But surely our goal is to love the Lord our God with all our heart, our soul, our mind, our strength. Because that is the basis of our faith, to love Jesus more than anything or anyone else. And I wonder whether that's a challenge for us this evening. You know, what is it that if I was to ask you what is the most important thing in your life, what would you say? Each time Jesus asks him the question about whether Peter loves him, and Peter responds positively. And each time Jesus gives him a commission. Now, lots has been made um, of the fact that Jesus has two words in this passage for love, agape, an unconditional love, and philia, a brotherly love. Um, and in this passage, it's seen by sort of love and truly love. But these words would, would often be um, interchangeable or even used in pairs. So we don't necessarily need to um, think too much into that. The most important thing is that it's about love. Likewise, with the sheep and the lambs. What is far more important is that Peter is being reinstated, that he needs to address the failure to stand up for Jesus and receive the forgiveness that Jesus brings him through the cross and uh, resurrection and recognize that his primary calling is simply to love Jesus. And then we have this commission each time to take care of Jesus' sheep, to feed his lambs, to feed his sheep. And of course, that's a reminder, isn't it, that with following Jesus comes a responsibility, a responsibility to care for one another, for God's people, and for those that Jesus might be calling us to go and speak to. Because we are given this commission as well, to love Jesus and to love his people. Finally then, Jesus gives this slightly strange image of Peter stretching out his hands at describing the kind of death that Peter would have, reminding him and us that there is a cost to following Jesus, a cross to be carried, if you like. And then Jesus says these two words, follow me. And boy, did Peter follow Jesus. We only need to look into Acts and see what he got up to. The gospel talks that he did, the miracles. And so this reinstatement of Peter is, I believe, really important. Firstly, because it shows us that whatever we have done, by God's grace, we can know forgiveness. Secondly, that because of that reinstatement, Peter played an integral part in the growth of the church. Finally, it reminds us of the simple call to follow and love Jesus. And that is the call that we all have on our lives, to follow Jesus, to love him and his church, to care, to speak out, to know that all of that might be difficult, but that because of the grace of the cross and resurrection, we have hope, we have purpose. Taking what is unforgivable and making it forgivable, that is grace, God's riches at Christ's expense. And of course, that isn't just for Peter. That is for every single one of us. God's grace, making what is unforgivable, forgivable. When we were praying before the service, uh, there was a, a sense of uh, whether there's uh, someone here or maybe more than one person who gets what grace is, maybe in their head, but hasn't quite got it in their hearts. Maybe they think, oh, that's not me. That can't be me. It's sort of as Peter was. But what Jesus says is that is for you. God's grace, 
God's riches at Christ's expense is for every single one of us. Is that for you? Yes, it is. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the way that through that encounter between Peter and Jesus, we saw so much of who you are. That you are a God who loves us and cares about us. You are a God who wants us to come to you, wants us to follow you. You are a God who makes the unforgivable forgivable. And Father, I want to pray for each one of us this evening, and particularly for anyone who um, just struggles with that idea of grace. Lord, would you come by your Spirit? Would you enable each one of us to take on for ourselves in our hearts what grace is? That you loved us so much that you went to the cross that you rose again, that you reinstated Peter in the way that you do to us every single day. Thank you, Jesus. In your name, amen.